Hey, and welcome back to the show. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we're back with another awesome episode. I am super excited about today's episode. Um, could potentially be a bit of a head scratcher for some of you listening out there, uh, but nonetheless, we'll get to that in just a second. So uh, just a little bit of housekeeping slash uh, announcements here. Um, I wanted to thank everyone who came out to my digestive health masterclass uh, this past weekend um, it was pretty intense it was a full eight hours so a long day but we got into a lot of stuff and the feedback from those in attendance was uh, generally very good so um, I will be doing this again in September again these are live in-person uh, workshops and that will be in Toronto so just keep an eye out on Facebook or my website and uh, you know keep up to speed with that uh, I will also be doing some webinars coming up so uh, I've got a webinar on medicinal mushrooms which I know a lot of you have requested and so I'll be doing that with host defense mushrooms and I will also be doing a webinar on fulvic and humic acids and trace minerals and uh, again I know that uh, a couple of posts that I did make on Facebook uh, got quite a lot of attention, um, as did uh, the subject in my workshop on the weekend. So uh, yeah, I'm going to put some stuff together there. And uh, again, just stay tuned into Facebook page, mailing list, uh, however you uh, get information from me. And uh, yeah, would love to see you on those educational webinars. Right, so on to today's uh, podcast, and um, this was a guest, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz, who I, uh, it, it took me a while um, to get him on the show, and not because it was difficult to contact uh, him, it was more because the the subject matter, all right, is uh, pretty dense, and uh, Dr. Cruz is a neurosurgeon, um, he's been in practice for many, many years, and uh, in the field for many years, and his uh, own health took a turn for the worse um, about 15 to 18 years ago, somewhere around there. And uh, having turned to conventional medicine and his formal training uh, to try and help himself, he was forced to sort of look outside the box, and that really led him into the discoveries and um, thinking and research that he has shared with us today. So today's episode um, really unpacks a lot of information. Uh, we talk about uh, things like quantum cellular biology. We talk about light a lot, and light meaning more sort of electromagnetics and frequency, um, as well as sunlight and so on. We get into other areas like leptin. We talk about leptin. We talk about diabetes uh, a fair bit. And we spend a good deal of time talking about 5G and the sort of greater implications there as well. Uh, Dr. Cruz does share with us on this podcast his uh, sort of philosophies and recommendations, if you will, um, just sort of really core foundational recommendations on how you can sort of optimize your health. Um, but really, uh, I, I want to get him on for a part two because um, he's just a wealth of information uh, that's sometimes uh, sort of taken out of context or at least uh, looked at in a very controversial light. But I think once you sink your teeth into today's show, um, and I would strongly encourage you to go and read his blog, uh, I think you'll agree with me that a lot of it makes perfectly good sense. 
And it also reconciles a lot of seemingly conflicting information that we're being fed. Uh, so I, I really am a huge fan of the work that he's doing. Um, I'm you know, really reading his blogs and listening to what he's putting out a great deal. I've read his book as well. So uh, if today's episode resonates with you, I would strongly encourage you to go and look into these issues a lot deeper and uh, get stuck into his blog and read his book. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, yeah, uh, great episode today. Um, again, it's very dense, so a lot of information, uh, perhaps for some of you, uh, information that is very brand new and a little bit uh, to wrap your head around. Um, but as Jack says on the podcast, uh, stretch your learning, read things and listen to things that uh, take you outside your comfort zone and expand your knowledge. And that is exactly what we do on today's show. So uh, I bring you Dr. Jack Cruz. Right, welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Um, so, Jack, uh, you know, when I first started getting into your work, um, I just literally went down the rabbit hole and got lost in so many different areas. And as I spent the last couple of years really getting into it, um, I've just found that what you're doing is extremely fascinating and flips so much of um, what we think we know about health and wellness uh, really on its head. But before I get into some of the finer points here, um, you know, how did you get into all of this? Because I understand that you did have some of your own health challenges. Um, you know, you are a, a neurosurgeon. So perhaps just give us a bit of background. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the easiest way to understand it, when you are a conventional uh, neurosurgeon and you are trained by the paradigm, you have this perception and mindset of kind of what health and wellness really is about. But what really kind of changed the attention for me in my life is actually when I got sick, then tapped into the profession that I believed had the answers and didn't get the answers that I expected. In fact, when I asked for their help, I actually got worse and didn't get any better. And um, <clears throat> it came upon uh, me giving a talk in Birmingham, Alabama, where I stood up something happened to me and thankfully there were some people in the audience you know who were my friends who kind of knew what really was going on uh, below the scenes in me and they trusted me enough uh with my own knowledge to kind of jump down the rabbit hole myself the interesting part about my jump down the rabbit hole is uh, they tried to tell me that they felt that the problem was in the paradigm of belief, the paradigm of big pharma. Uh, and that's the reason why I wasn't seeing uh, the forest through the trees. And uh, instead I took a totally different uh, look at the rabbit hole, so to speak. I started to realize that maybe we weren't playing at the foundational levels of uh, biology. And uh, I went a totally different way with it. And, and that's kind of how I started forming my new perspective by looking at, you know, the science of quantum mechanics and how it impacts cellular function, biology, medicine, you know, and chronic diseases out there today. And I use this perspective actually to fix my own problems when conventional medicine could not do it for me. Mm. And how long, how long ago was that, that you sort of really got into all of this? 15 years ago. 
Okay, wow. And uh, I gotta say, in 15 years, you've really amassed a lot of research um, uh, in so many different areas. So um, I'll just sort of, you know, I would like to get your sort of thousand foot overview, because the things that I've sort of gleaned from a lot of your teaching, um, and so on has really been uh, the combination of things like electromagnetic frequencies, gravity, light, um, circadian rhythm, um, diet, and of course, as you said, sort of quantum cellular biology. Is that a sort of fair analysis of of the, what what you do or or what your research is? I, I would I would actually say it's actually simpler simpler than that to get. I look at the science uh, that underpins nature and apply it to biology, and it's incredibly simple to really understand the perspective. What's not incredibly simple is understanding and explaining nature to people who really have lived their whole life uh, being sold a narrative and a meme that uh, health and wellness is tied to say like food and exercise or, or, you know, going to the gym and doing those things. That's really the uphill battle that I'm fighting. And I think the thing that freaks people out more than anything else is when they really begin to understand my perspective, there's really nothing controversial about what I'm saying. It's actually tied to the science of um, nature. And nature is the one reality that we all know well. Uh, We ignore it at our peril. Um, But the problem is uh, we have divorced ourselves as a species from nature and we're the only uh we're the only species of mammals out there that have the capability of breaking all of nature's laws because of that quantum computer in our skull and that's really where it starts we are uh, we are incredibly ignorant uh of our own dunning-kruger effect because the cognitive bias that we're built to work and operate with is nature Mm-hmm. And it, it is interesting because, you know, when you roll the clock back, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, I mean, when science sort of first arrived on the scene, if you will, um, you know, theologian type science was always about learning how nature worked so that we could better fit in with nature. And I sort of feel like with Newtonian physics and modern science, it's almost like we want to figure out how nature works so that we can manipulate it and and to sort of um, bypass some of these natural laws, which is sort of what you're talking about Um yeah, there's no bypass. That's that's the ignorance of man mm-hmm. uh, right there. I mean, man has been able to ride the waves of nature uh, and use them for his devices to create, you know, a lot of different things, you know, that we have in our modern world. And you know, don't don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of good that man has done through their manipulation, but the real problem for us today is our, our tinkering without knowledge has led to uh, some bad connotations uh, around it. And that ignorance is really a a major, major problem. Um, You know, I'm just sitting here thinking about when you ask me this question, you know, you have to almost ask yourself, what's the most important part of this discussion? Is it the pursuit of science or how the science is perceived currently? Mm. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think, when you are a thoroughly conscious, ignorant person, um, that's not a bad thing. It actually, that's, that should exist before any wisdom from nature is obtained. And it turns out your perception, your current perception frames your current focus. Uh, and I guess 
if you abide by your educational ignorance long enough, you'll hope, you'll hope over time that you'll stumble in to wisdom. I kind of feel that's what happened to me on my story. And unfortunately, I don't think that's what's happened to most other people, you know, out there. And I guess it's my job to try to explain to people that the laws of nature are incontrovertible. Um, these, these are not subject to randomized controlled trials, as we're told in biology. And this, this, you know, this idea that I just shared with you really is offensive to some people in medicine because they, they don't really and have not thought uh, very clearly about how the laws around light, water, and magnetism, they're not arguable. They're, and they're not. They're really not uh, subject to any randomized control trial. That's the reason why we have a problem. We act like we don't understand, you know, light fundamentally, but actually we have a pretty good understanding of how it works. We have no understanding actually how light works within the cell. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's really where our perception uh, is lacking. And I kind of think when people really start to jump down the rabbit hole as I fell into it, then they begin to understand why my perspective appears to be so counterintuitive to the prevailing, you know, thought paradigm. But it's not, it, I don't think it's controversial at all. I think it's actually yeah. relatively simplistic to understand that we're optimized to that ball of gas in the sky for 4.6 billion years. We are not optimized, mm-hmm. you know, to the lights that we've built around us since we built the power grid in 1893. It's it's really not that difficult to understand. Right. So it's, it's, almost, it's almost like we've created all of this stuff around us, but biologically speaking, we haven't evolved fast enough to really be able to handle it. We also have the ignorance of believing that we can manipulate the things in us genetically or epigenetically to offset the environment we've created. That's actually the, the real conundrum that we're in now. And that, uh, that ignorance is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And, um, you know, I will, I want to sort of circle back to epigenetics, um, because I know it's, it's a, something that you talk about all the time and I know it's such a hot button issue these days, but what I'd like to do is if we can just sort of really start from the beginning, if you will, and, uh, your sort of core, um, cellular theory of aging, I guess it is, you know, the sort of cellular homeostasis, um, determining cellular fates all the time. And I know that this is one of the sort of core teachings that you have, perhaps you can elaborate on that. And what is that, you, you know, on a cellular level? This one is, this one is, I think again, simple, but it's because I've sat down and thought about it for a long time. Most people in biology and medicine have a belief that everything has an equilibrium bias. And it turns out that's exactly the opposite. In fact, all living things have a non-equilibrium bias. The only time life is at equilibrium is when it's dying. That's what rigor mortis is. We're designed to live, and a cell is designed to operate uh, at a non-equilibrium bias. And the reason for that is because light is a non-linear stimulus. And it turns out that once you understand that one factor you begin to undress all the bad ideas that are present in biochemistry and present in biology. And um, it turns out the light that we live under actually changes the free radical signal within our mitochondria 
And that change in free radical signaling actually is what changes the trajectory of the path of a cell and what it can do in the environment that it's in. And if you really think about it teleologically, that's really what evolution's all about. Evolution's all about being highly adaptable in a varying environment. Um, the problem on Earth for 4.6 billion years, the environment has varied at a relatively slow pace, allowing evolution you know, to do its quantum experimentation to roll the dice to come up with answers so that cells could remain um, at their non-equilibrium bias. The, the problem is right now is we now are varying the environment of man so quickly that the, uh, the quantum experimentation that is required no longer can keep pace, as you said earlier. I mean, I try to tell people to give them an analogy that viruses are the classic way that we sculpted our genome, especially in, in the human animal. Uh, when you consider that if you look at the entire genome, the 25,000 genes we have, 97, 98% of them come from this um, viral family called HERV, which is, you know, uh, retro retroviruses that have been collected from seawater over millions and millions of years that we've now sculpted and used uh, ourselves. The key thing is that's, the, I guess, the key spare part that we use in the casino of life. Today, we're now utilizing the electromagnetic spectrum to play that genome. That's the stimulus. That's the guitar pick that strums those strings. And we're not really aware. Our focus right now in medicine is still on the genome that really reacts very slowly. It's designed to be quiescent, but the stimulus or the guitar pick that plays those strings uh, is the spectrum of light. And we are now operating on different parts of spectrum of light outside of the visible spectrum that life is not yet used to uh, playing on. And that's the reason why we're beginning to see, you know, chronic diseases in humans over the last 125 years that we've never seen before in the history of man. You know, prior to 1901, there was no Alzheimer's. Prior to 1940, there was mm. no autism. You know, um, there was a reason I made a prediction 10 years ago that we would face a suicide crisis, you know, in young people, uh, an obesity crisis in different parts of the world. Why all of a sudden, in a place that had stable vegetarianism, for 5,000 years in India, in the tropics, that we now have the largest creation of diabetics in the world in this one area. There's a reason I made these predictions. And it turns out uh, the reason I made those predictions because I had the insight to realize that in areas that have had the most aberrant use of the electromagnetic guitar pick on our genome, we would see the biggest mitochondrial changes. And that's exactly what's happened. Hmm. So just for our listeners, just to sort of like distill this down, um, to, you know, into sort of something that's a little bit more bite-sized, right, is we're really talking about the interaction of light, which is obviously a non-linear, you know, the sun comes up, the sun goes down every day, the earth shifts on its axis and tilts and whatnot. But and those are the linear aspects of light. Let's let's be very clear about that. That's the, Those are the, the bites of the apple that I think most people understand. That's not what life's about. Life, life uses that to play the orchestra. That's what chronobiology is about or circadian biology is about. 
but the light that I'm speaking of, the, the stimulus that runs the epigenetic program, no, the nonlinear aspects of light are usually in the ultraviolet range. Um, and what that means for those of you, the, those people who are listening to this that don't really understand it, nonlinear means that a small stimulus leads to a massive amplification. So to make it really, really simple, uh, 312 nanometer light, which is UVB light, interacts with cholesterol on our skin and turns that cholesterol through a photoisomerization step into vitamin D3 to something completely different. So we move from you know, a polar molecule to a neurosteroid that has literally an effect on a thousand different genes in our body in ways that few of us can fathom right now. Most of wow. those changes are small shifts in atoms in other proteins that lead to massive physiologic changes in our body. And I think most people know, you know, uh, of the association between have a low vitamin D level and autoimmune conditions like MS. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what a nonlinear effect is when you take it from the 30,000 foot level to say the 30 foot level. And I think it's really important for people to understand the larger perspective that we're talking about immediately people want to jump to the to the perspective they can understand i don't want you to go to that level i want you to understand the most complex level why because once you begin to bite from that apple all of a sudden you start to realize the things that you really believe the reason you believe them is because that's where your perspective and understanding is right now because of your own ignorance and your own myopia. And if you really want to gain the perspective of the science that nature really uses, that, that's really going to help you reverse the disease, you need to embrace the discomfort of thinking. You need to embrace the discomfort of what you don't know and try to understand it from a perspective where you're not comfortable. Um, I think... That's part of the reason why I always tell my members, you know, it's easy for skeptics to listen to some of my podcasts and say, oh, you need to dumb it down for other people to understand. And here's the problem. When you dumb it down for other people, new ideas never really uh, gain the nutrients and water they need. And this is the reason why the paradigm that I come from in medicine uh, condemns new ideas. Because new, when you condemn new ideas without any real scientific investigation because you just don't fathom the correct. To me, this is the height of ignorance, and that's exactly what we're facing today in medicine. This is the reason why the public health is at risk, you know? And um, I think it's one of those things where I, I almost become very difficult for people even on podcast because I am not going to dumb this down. I am not going to play to the weakest link in any audience. I want you to know that you need to elevate your game to understand how you really work in nature. And mm -hmm. that's the reason why I tell people the stronger your dogma is, the greater your ignorance is. And mm -hmm. I just I just don't let people dull my shine. I want I want people to revel in really what we are. We are beings of light who are designed to work within the visible spectrum. Of sunlight and I want you to know as much as you possibly can about how light sculpts your genome, how light sculpts your epigenome, how it manifests in your mitochondrial biology and how 
that translates into the diseases that you read on social media, in textbooks, and in articles. Um, I want to be able to explain to you why, you know, Western India has the largest collection of diabetics in the last 25 years on planet Earth. Because for 5,000 years before this, they had no problems at all. Yeah, well, it's, and, and I, I totally respect that and I get it because, you know, this is why I've been reading your blog for about a year and a half now before actually asking you to come on the show, right? Because it, it is dense information. It is a lot for people to take in. But I 100% agree that we do need to elevate our learning and, and, and really try and wrap our head around this stuff um, because it's doing a number on people. Um, and anyway, I'm not going to labor over that point. Um, I, I want to bring us back on point here with something because you keep, you know, you're, you're mentioning um, – India, diabetes, and so on. And I know one of the big areas uh, that you discuss is leptin, right? So perhaps we can sort of dive into um, leptin and, you know, what does leptin do? How is it affecting us? And of course, the interplay once again between things like frequency, light, and so on. Uh, perhaps you can sort of unpack that a little bit and help us understand. Sure. Leptin is the major hormone in the body that controls uh, all energy growth and metabolism. It happens to be located in the hypothalamus, which is right behind the pituitary gland in the brain. The interesting uh, part of leptin that most people don't understand is that the hormone itself starts out in the subcutaneous fat of humans. The message then has to be delivered to the hypothalamus under the cover of darkness. Um, and that changes the tension or the frequency or how should we say the physiologic response in the organism to respond to the organism. The interest, most interesting part of, of leptin is that it's a, a key cog in the central retinal pathways between the eye, the pituitary gland, and the hypothalamus. So it's the master hormone in the body that controls all the other ones. And it turns out, since it comes from the subcutaneous fat, you have to ask yourself a question. Why in the hell would nature or evolution decide to put the most critical hormone in our body in subcutaneous fat. And it turns out the answer was really delineated probably over the last five years when we realized there's another part of the leptin story. And it's tied to these proteins in our body called chromophores. Chromophores are proteins that respond to different colors of light. Um, mm -hmm. And the largest uh, organ in our body, contrary to popular belief, is actually our skin. So when you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, our largest organ is our skin and the subcutaneous fats right below the skin, maybe this is the reason why evolution and nature decided to put this protein there because it has the greatest chance of getting the most light information. That was true all the way up until about 600,000 years ago when humans started to wear clothes and then changed that information processing. Well, it turns out, these chromophore proteins that work with leptin, the number one one that we've found in the last probably 15 years is a protein called melanopsin. And we found that melanopsin, which is the blue light detector, is present in the eye. We found that out in 1998. That wasn't new news. But then in 2014, we found out it was in all the blood vessels, especially the blood vessels in the skin right below then we found out it was in the subcutaneous fat blood vessels. Wow. That's when it really interesting. And uh, then in December of 2017, we found out it was in the skin. 
And then that completed the story of really how leptin works. It turns out leptin works with these opsin proteins to deliver the light information that control all growth and metabolism within all mammals, not, not just humans, but all mammals. Where it's created in mammals and where it moves around is a little bit different. The story is different between diurnal mammals and, and, and nocturnal mammals, but for this discussion, that's not really important. The key thing is, is when we live in an aberrant light environment, say outside the visible spectrum, that's when you get something called leptin resistance. And most people can understand that because they're pretty facile with the idea of insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. The idea of insulin resistance comes more from the nutritional paradigm when we talk about carbohydrates or excessive calories. Um, most people know that an insulin-resistant person is someone who doesn't respond appropriately to the stimuli, both of either blood sugar or insulin, for a variety of different reasons. But what most people don't understand, what underpins all insulin-resistant cases is fundamental leptin resistance. And when you understand leptin resistance, it actually tells you that you have a defect in how melanopsin is actually working. And when you get into melanopsin biology, that's when it gets really interesting because you find out that melanopsin, this chromophore protein that works with leptin, controls many of the key hormones that you and your audience probably know as well. And the number one one that you need to understand is melatonin. Melatonin mm-hmm. is destroyed by melanopsin. And melatonin happens to control the two programs that control the changes that occur in mitochondria. That's called autophagy and apoptosis. Now, most people know that melatonin also controls sleep, and that's the reason why most people who are linear thinkers who don't go deep understand that poor sleep is also associated with poor health. Well, it turns out most people that are leptin-resistant also have poor sleep. These things are highly correlated. doesn't mean they cause each other, but they, they are in the cascade of biologic effects, that nonlinear cascade that we talked about before. And it turns out the more blue light that you live in, not connected to the other frequencies in the sun, the worse this process gets. And the longer it exists, the more mitochondrial damage one accumulates. And that's where most of the chronic diseases that you read about today come from. They manifest from that. So just about everybody out there, in my opinion, about 98% of people have a chronic mitochondrial disease. That means they are leptin resistant at some level. It could be centrally, it could be in the liver, it could be peripherally at the skin, it could be even in just in one organ where they have organ failure, you know, like we see, for example, in diabetes. Um, And the thing is, when you begin to dive down this rabbit hole, you begin to understand that um, disease generation and leptin biology is far more complex than you'll ever get from listening to uh, most other food gurus and and supplement sellers. Um, In fact, the science is actually amazing when you look at it. But that's the reason why I tell my people that health is really the slowest form of death we create. And Mm -hmm. we create that through the choices we make around the light that we choose to live around. Wow. Well, just fascinating stuff. And and just to follow on that, um, how, I mean, how does this tie into uh, India and diabetes? You, you know, what's happening over there? Are there is there a, an absence of light? Are they working indoors? Uh, what, what's going on there? 
Well, there's an absence of light, and then we've put new light into it. So let's let's unpack it. For 5,000 years, we've had Indians over there living and eating a vegetarian diet. And they've been doing quite well up until about 25 years ago. Now, between the 20th latitude and the zero latitude in the northern hemisphere, those two major cities, Mumbai and Bangalore, in 25 years, we've created about 100 to 120 million diabetics. Just so you know... Wow. Your audience is clear. That means that literally in 25 years, we have created diabetes where there is none. So let me ask you a question. In the last 5,000 years, do you think the sun has changed? No. No. How the Indians Indians have used it also hasn't changed. But what did change? That's when Google and Facebook started to build all their tech centers in that Mm -hmm. part of India. And guess what? That's when artificial light was brought into this era because this whole part of the Deccan basalt flats where um, these two cities are located basically changed the light that these people live around. And it happened in a very, very quick time frame. So what is nature really telling us? It's telling us that when we introduce environmental change, that we can sculpt the genome epigenetically very, very quickly to lead to diseases in a nonlinear fashion that will confuse doctors because we don't believe that diabetes can be caused just by blue light. We think it's a disease of carbohydrates. Hmm. And it turns out the vegetarian diet has had basically the same level of macronutrients in it in this area for 5,000 years. So this is why I tell the food gurus here in the United States that their beliefs around food are absolutely preposterous. <laughs> and when you begin to realize that the same effect is really what's going on in the big cities in the United States, this is the reason why we have fat diabetics in the United States. If you look at a map, nowhere in the United States do we, do we have a place that's below the 20th latitude. In fact, United States goes all the way from about the 50th latitude all the way up. I'm sorry, I'm not concluding uh, – Alaska there. It technically goes from the 67th latitude all the way down to latitude 24. Uh, Hmm. That's the reason why diabetics in the States tend to look chubby and fat. And the reason why the diabetics in India are skinny and dark is because they've been created between the 20th and zero latitude where the sun is more strong uh, and actually um, sculpts their epigenome differently. Uh, This effect is completely lost on modern medicine men. And I, I point it out all the time. Um, we have this belief in medicine in the United States that all diabetics are created equal. You know, the only difference is people that have type 1, type 2, or what they call the autoimmune version. It turns out fundamentally it's way more complex than that. And if you look at what's going on in India and you look at what's going on in the United States, and you look at what a type 2 diabetic looks like in each country, remember, the disease they have is basically the same. They're insulin-resistant, leptin-resistant, and they can't make insulin from their beta cells. But yet, epigenetically or phenotypically, they look radically differently. Their job is to explain why they look differently. I'm telling you I can explain it. And it turns out it's the light environment that they live in that's what determines the difference between them. But the disease is actually the same. Hmm. So when you get this insight of what's going on in India, then you start to look at other diseases and go, wait a minute. 
is this really the difference, say, between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's? Is this the difference in difference between um, Alzheimer's and GBM, which is a brain tumor? Are these physiologic differences really the same disease masquerading because the light environment that creates them is radically different? And this is, in fact, what the leading researchers in mitochondrial medicine have pointed out for 40 years. And that person happens to be a guy named Doug Wallace, who's at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And he basically has been very public, not only in his papers, but his talks, and saying that when mitochondrial biology goes south, that's where diseases manifest from. And when you fix the mitochondrial problem, the diseases magically go away. Wow. This is decidedly different than what you hear from Big Pharma. Um, because remember, they're trying to give you a pill to change something in your epigenome or genome to get you back to where you are without any changes in your environment at all. When you really understand how light sculpts the mitochondrial genome, you begin to realize how epically ridiculous and ignorant <laughs> um, this mitochondrial is. Mm-hmm. So one one thing that I um I can't remember if it was on your blog or in your book I forget where I read it but an interesting stat and and just correct me if I'm wrong here but it was that leptin resistance preceded insulin resistance by what was it ten or fifteen years? It's usually uh, to be honest with you that is probably an old stat. I think it's now that we know the link to melanopsin. I'm going to tell you that it happens way earlier than that. I, I actually believe. Uh, that let's take a disease that we've been talking about. Let's take Alzheimer's. I believe that that epigenetic change occurs in your teens and 20s, but the full-on disease manifests many years later. And it takes a longer period of time to work out. I believe uh, a tumor like uh, GBM, which is glioblastoma multiformin, which is, you know, what Ted Kennedy died from, and there are several other people that have it now. It's one of the fastest-growing tumors in humans. It's the same type of of change in in proteins in our body, except it happens very quickly. It can happen within a year or two. So you can see that the light stimulus plays a big role in how quick the disease manifests or how long it takes to manifest. Um, But almost every mitochondrial disease that I can conjure up in my mind right now is underpinned by leptin um, resistance. Um, but at some level, there's also a melanopsin defect uh, that's present at some level. Our job in medicine, the way I look at it in the next 50 to 100 years, is to actually look at patients with this perspective when they first come in. Right now, there's very few people that have my perspective. Mm-hmm. I to- totally agree. I mean, I haven't come across many, which is why I've been fascinated with your work, because um, it, it's it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's very much outside the box, but it makes total sense. Um, one last thing on leptin, you know, you said it, but I just want to reiterate that. Uh, um, do you feel like leptin resistance is really driving pretty much all what, you, what you've sort of coined neolithic? or modern diseases? Uh, yeah, I think, to, and I, I'm going to qualify this. The answer, the short answer is yes. But what I want people to understand is that leptin biology, uh, we thought was foundational 10 or 15 years ago. Now we know that that's not even the most foundational levels. Now we know about melanopsin. Now we, we know how melanopsin links into mitochondrial colony failure. 
we now know how it affects autophagy and apoptosis. Why sleep is really disrupted. Why the brain, the immune system, you know, all the big systems in the body go awry. So the story has much more data uh, and the picture is becoming more clear. It's kind of like when you have a broken vase. You know, when you pick up all the big pieces of the vase, you can get out, you can make out that it's a vase. The problem is you may not know that it's a Tiffany vase versus, say, a regular uh, Waterford vase or something like that. Mm-hmm. The more pieces you get, the more data you have, the more you get a clear picture of exactly what you're dealing with. And I, I'm trying to explain to you that I believe Jack 15 years ago and Jack today has a, a radically clearer picture of really where the defects are. I think if you just stop at the leptin level, you'll be far ahead of where medicine is right now, but you're not far enough ahead of where you need to go to reverse the disease that you currently have. Wow. And um, no, no doubt that's an area that is being looked at. I mean, I know you're one of the sort of front runners there, but uh, lots of work to be done and lots of research, um, no doubt. Uh, Since we're talking about this, and just to move us along a little bit, I know one of the sort of hot topics right now, and something that you've been posting a lot over the last while is this whole 5G technology. Um, situation you know now, now that we have a better understanding of light and um, all of that like perhaps we can dive into the 5g technology and um, what's going on there how's it affecting us or how will it affect us well you, first i think what we need to to do is define kind of what the electromagnetic spectrum is so that we're all talking the same game so Let's talk about this, this part of the spectrum that we're optimized to in biology. Mm-hmm. Um, that part of the spectrum is between 250 and 780 nanometers. That's visible light. That's the light of terrestrial sunlight. That's what everything in your body is optimized for. It, there's another frequency called the Schumann resonance that comes from the Earth and the cosmos, uh, and that's at 7.83 Hertz, that's around, that's in the RF or extreme low frequency uh, RF range. Those are the things that connect to our biology. That's what we're optimized for. Everything outside of those frequencies, technically biology doesn't have an answer for currently, but those are the, the light stimulus that actually lead to the changes uh, that we see in, you know, in our genome currently. So when you begin to understand this, you start to realize, hey, humans started to deal with RF, which is radio frequencies, and microwaves to communicate about uh, 120 years ago. Now, it's much more complicated today. Why? Because from 1991, we've gone from 0G all the way up to today, which is, you know, 5G. And when you begin to understand kind of what that means... Uh, you need to to define what changes have occurred. It turns out that the type of uh, things that we've used in the electromagnetic spectrum has also radically changed. We're trying to pack more information into the waveforms uh, to deliver content and data much faster than we've ever done. That's really what the story of probably 0G to 4G is. Now, 5G is a different animal completely. 5G was really built for military applications. It's also built for governments and for for corporations. Its main goal 
is it's it's brisk enough where it can um, it can carry so much information it's so fast that um, it allows in, uh, I should say machines that are connected to the internet to talk to one another to make this unbelievable web of communication. The problem is it was built that way uh, for a period of control. Uh, it was also built that way uh, for corporations to deliver services to us that would create needs in us. In other words, to make life a little bit more comfortable than it normally would be. And those things will be sold to people uh, based on those needs. Now, 5G specifically is a story about topology. And most people don't know about the science of topology. So I'm going to give you just a little primer on it so you understand it at a very basic level. Topology is actually a, a branch of mathematics that's fundam fundamentally focused on the shapes of things as they change. It's the mathematics of shape change. And it turns out we have things in solid-state physics called topologic insulators. And those are uh, types of semiconductors that um, different computers use. For example, most people know in the world of computing that uh, graphene, which is a, an isotope, or I should say a, a, a molecular form of carbon, is a topologic insulator, and that's what they're using to build the new generation of quantum computers. What people don't know in medicine and biology, and this is where my specialty is, is that life, cells, humans, all mammals on this planet are built from these special topologic insulators as well. And it turns out that we use our surfaces for shape-shifting in the living system uh, by utilizing visible light from the sun to create uh, light from these semiconductors that we use to communicate inside. In other words, we use optical photonic signaling. So this allows life's proteins to become photonic. And it turns out that these topologic shape changes drive tissue thermodynamics. And tissue thermodynamics actually is what drives physiologic functioning. So if you think this is like crazy talk that we're having here, I just want everybody to know who's listening to this podcast that the Nobel Prize for topology was given in 2016. Hmm. Okay? Hmm. This is really, really new science. And with any type of new science, most people don't understand how it relates to the current paradigm and the things that are occurring in us. So what you need to understand is, say, somebody who's ignorant of the science is that light waves – can emerge and disappear because of how topology can change as the environment or the environmental waves change. And this, if you really understand what I just said, that's the story of what's going on in India right now. Hmm. Their environmental light change has changed the topologic insulators that are present on their eyes, their skin, and their pancreas to create skinny diabetics because of how we're using RF radiation and microwaves. And to, to fast forward this to something that hopefully your readers do know about, the NTP study that just was released in the United States on in November 1st of 2018 showed us that nocturnal mammals are beginning to get certain types of tumors and cancers um, that we didn't expect. And that, what did that occur from? That study was done on, like I said, animals in a lab that only were affected by blue light, 
and 2G and 3G networks. Let's just be clear. Most people in the world today are now operating at a 4G and 5G level. So if this study clearly showed these topologic effects, you know, that were studied beginning in 2011, the initial results were released in 2015. Now we have the final results out in 2018. It's no longer a point of conjecture that Jack um, is saying these things have an effect. We know they have an effect. The problem is now the people who are building this 5G network want to obscure the real fact about the biologic effects around these things that connect all the things to the internet um, so that you can have you know faster download speeds for Netflix or be able to have Amazon Prime anywhere in the world or you know, this is the reason why we have a guy like Tesla who's been given carte blanche by the U.S. federal government to deliver Wi-Fi everywhere. Why? Because the system needs tremendous amounts of data and bandwidth in order to connect all these things to do it. It also gives governments and militaries unbelievable leverage and control over things they previously could never control. And this control happens uh, at a level way below your ability to perceive it. Why? Because these things occur on light waves. And you, the only thing that's optimized in you to sense light waves well is your eye. But it turns out your mitochondria actually are an electromagnetic antenna that pays attention to these things. And when you can change the tension in your mitochondria, you can actually control the way somebody behaves. And we know that. Uh, we can control the level of dopamine that's created in certain neurons in the brain. Well, guess what? That controls your behavior. And we know a disease like that. Most of us do. That's called Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. Well, there's other ways of controlling those things. And most people don't realize that the light waves in the spectrum actually control the proteins in your body. And this is the reason why 5G is a problem because it's never been tested you know, on humans. And currently, it's being tested on humans you know, in major cities all throughout the United States and the world. And it's been tested for the last five years. Why? Because governments, militaries, and profiteers want to take full advantage of this. Remember, anybody whose dopamine level is controlled uh, becomes a really good consumer or customer. And if you don't believe me, uh, I want you, all of you listening to this, to walk into a casino next time <laughs> and explain what nothing with blue light in there, there's no windows, and there's never, you know, good marks for the exits. And the reason for that is when they can control your light environment, they can control how much you drink and how much money you spend in the casino. This idea within the casino has now been ex expanded to the global economy, and that's really what the game plan of 5G is all about. It's about utilizing the light spectrum to create the idea of progress so that people can easily be harnessed by utilizing the power of the electromagnetic spectrum to affect the topologic insulators that are in your body. Wow. That is um, yeah, pretty mind-blowing when you put it into perspective like that. So it's um, just crazy insight and also, and also pretty crazy what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to dumb this down. I want people to understand really what the 30,000-foot view is. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with people wanting 5G and thinking it's a great thing for their life. I just want them to understand really what the main drivers are and why we're getting this technology 
and how this technology can be usurped and used in different ways that won't be sold to the public, that won't be considered a public good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's the reason why in the United States, I've m- mentioned on other podcasts that, um, and I'll say it here because I think it's important. I think the next battle between uh, the public and major governments will, will be fought in the United States under the Fourth Amendment, which is the right to privacy. And the reason I say that is because 5G is a, a personal assault on privacy because it's given, uh, I'll give you a perfect example so people understand this. The Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI in the United States, without any laws being passed, without any votes being taken, was able to take face recognition uh, from Department of Motor Vehicles and then add it to the grid of 5G. So now that cameras all over the world can pick your face out anywhere you are uh, and know exactly what you're doing and, and why and how you're doing it. And it's sold to people that this helps, you know, global terrorism. It helps, you know, fight crime and this that. But guess what else it does? In China, it's now being used to give social mm-hmm. uh, scores to people, uh, which is then being used to control them. And, and the thing is, people think that this is, you know, you know, hyperbole when they hear it. It's not. And I, I promise you, you know, just like 15 years ago, it was considered Jack was crazy about talking about leptin biology. Mark my words, the next five or 10 years, you're going to remember this podcast when you start to hear people talk about 5G and the Fourth Amendment in the, in the United States, because it'll be generalized to the rest of the world. And this is the reason why many of the trends you know, in the United States is to take civil liberties away, because if we can get civil liberties taken away at some level, the government gains more control. Therefore, you don't need regime change. All you need is you need um, a change really in perspective of the populace. And the crazy thing is the uh, population in the United States is actually making this very easy for politicians to change things because they're addicted to Netflix. They don't realize what really the end game is. Uh, And I think when they do, it may be too late. And that's part of the reason why I think uh, I mentioned this this issue around the Fourth Amendment, because I think this is not just an issue for the United States, it's an issue, an issue for the globe. And I do believe because the United States does have those constitutional amendments that are pretty well known, uh, that battle is going to be fought. The, the battle for technology is going to happen in the Supreme Court, and it's going to happen in a very counterintuitive way. Uh, and I believe it's going to be the story between both the military-industrial complex, uh, tech progress, and the biologic effects associated with this technology. Those are going to be the collateral effects that wash these waves up straight to the Supreme Court. And I promise you, it will be a Fourth Amendment issue. It will come down to privacy. Nobody has the right to take the data that they're taking right now without consent. That's pretty clear-cut, and guess what? For the last 50 years, uh, globally, not just the United States, this is happening worldwide. And that's exactly why this story needs to resonate back to the story of the Indian continent. Because Hmm. that's happened to those people. Their biologic effects are directly tied to this technological progress that we see in Google and in Facebook. And people don't realize that's 
the real reason why these companies are so valuable. It's also the reason why these companies uh, are being called into Congress constantly because governments realize that these companies have way more power than even the government has. Mm-hmm. And that scares the hell out of them. Yeah. Wow. So, so I'm assuming that just from a biological standpoint, I mean, we're probably already seeing the effects now, even just from 3G, 4G, but no doubt the, um, the ramping up of chronic disease and other illnesses and whatnot will, will for sure be exploding um, as we roll out 5G technology. Well, we are seeing it, at least in the States, and I can tell you actually how it's being seen, but it's not being seen at the public level. Uh, physicians who listen to this podcast may be shocked to hear when they go to a conference every month called Morbidity and Mortality Conference. Uh, we get data as as physicians that tell us where the sickest people come from in our ICUs and our hospitals. And hospitals now have codified this to zip codes. So we know that most of the people that are really, really sick come in, 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 in certain zip codes. Let's not realize yet in the hospital that that is tied to the rollout of how technology is in those areas. So the places that tend to have the highest levels of uh, ICU admits and sepsis and, you know, the different diseases that I've talked about, we now can roll them back to where technology is being rolled out by the cell carriers. And the thing is, as soon as that data gets linked between the healthcare system and the tech system, that's when... I think the come to Jesus moment for the legal profession in the United States will come to fruition just like it did with tobacco litigation. When they can put causation or correlation behind the story, that's when we will see a change. And the problem is we're already seeing that medicine. The problem is doctors, hospitals, and healthcare organizations are blinded to the effect because they never thought in their life to think about how the light environment uh, in a certain zip code has been usurped by cell carriers to deliver this technology and it creates the biologic effect, but the effect is already there. We're already seeing it in, in large cities across the United States. As, as I said to you, the NTP study told us that these effects already showed up in 2G and 3G. Well, the yeah. entire United States is already past the 2G and 3G state. Now, third world countries are still operating at that level. But most of the big cities globally, like in Europe, for example, London is completely 5G. Mm-hmm. Most of the big cities in Germany are now 5G. Um, um, I was just in Warsaw, Poland. You wouldn't think it's 5G, but the airport there is already 5G. So these, these trends are there. I just want people to begin to pay attention to these things so they can understand when people start to get sick, and get weird diseases in a new zip code, they need to start looking outside themselves and looking at the environment. What's changed in the environment? Not what's changed in your genome. And see, this is the myopia that's present in medicine. The first thing we do is we look for a genetic cause. Well, genes don't change that fast, my friend. Mm-hmm. It turns out, though, that mitochondrial biology does change uh, on a femtosecond level. That's actually how we really work. And when you begin to understand that, we should be looking in that genome, not the nuclear genome, for the real effects of electromagnetic pollution. 
So um, just because I do want to be conscious of your time, uh, I mean, I literally feel like I could probably talk you, talk with you for another two hours. Um, but what, do you feel like there are, is there any way to sort of protect yourself? Is there anything we can do here um, as, as this technology gets rolled out? Yeah, I think there are as many things you can do, but you have to decide first um, through choices how you're going to live your life. Uh, personally, I'm not afraid of 5G because I understand that I think people get fear from you know 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G because they really don't understand how the electromagnetic spectrum of the light works. That being said, if you don't have a lot of money, you cannot build a fortress. If you have a lot of money, it's pretty easy to build a fortress to protect yourself from these things. The bigger, the bigger issue is um, the easiest thing that one can do to help themselves in a 5G world is make sure that your circle is six. The six people that are tightest in your network all are good thinkers. In other words, that they're not, their brains haven't been usurped by the abuse of blue light and technology so that you can use their 12 eyeballs as your eyeballs to make sure they're helping you pack your parachute so that you can look at your own environment around you very carefully. And when I said this to people recently when I was in Europe, they were very surprised that this was the best hack for 5G. And I explained to them that um, you need to realize when you become more aware of what's going on in your environment, you begin to become more facile about how to use the inverse square law to your benefit. And it's really important to get this message out there. Why? Because the data is pretty clear. I mean, this has actually been studied. People are really surprised to hear this. turns out, the health of your top five or six friends can actually be, be used to generate a health profile of you. Wow. And that means who you're really relying on and hanging out with says a lot about you. And I mean, we know it, you know, in obesity data, it's, you can Google this after you get off of me. People are fat tend to hang around with fat people. You know, people who have low dopamine states tend to be around people that are afflicted by low dopamine states. So if you realize after listening to this podcast that you have a bunch of friends that are gamers that really don't see the world as you do, you need to rebuild your circle of six. Why? Because the people around you are, when the environment changes, those are going to be the people that help you see the 5G antennas going up, that help you see the zip code changes that you may not see because you're blinded to this because you're so addicted to the technology that 5G is associated with. That, to me, is free. It's, it's easy to do. The problem is it requires you to spend more time going to a coffee house with somebody, sitting down and talking to them, not with a tech device in between your communication where you're either texting them or talking to them on Facebook or things like that. And that idea is so simple. Um, I think it's the single number one biggest hack that everybody should employ in 2019 to begin to uh, build, you know, a life of protection around it. Because let's face it, the governments, the militaries, the the corporate profiteers, they're, they're not going to stop building this network. Mm -hmm. Anybody who thinks that they're going to is sadly mistaken. So what does that mean? It means that the people listening to this uh, podcast need to begin to think smarter than they have in the past. And this is one of the key ways to do it. Make sure that you have 
a good circle of six around you. I can tell you that's what I've been focusing on in my own life in all of 2019. Hmm. Um, any any sort of uh, other practical recommendations? I know something you also talk about a lot is um, you know th- getting out into nature. Um, you know, spending time in nature, barefoot in the forest, that kind of stuff. You want to get out into nature. The problem is that you get out to nature and you're in London. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't have the same effect as it would say if you were in Uganda. Why? Because London's five G. There's no sun there, so the chance of you getting a huge benefit there is not great. Um, so what, why did I just say that to you? I'm trying to explain to you mm-hmm. that zip code is going to trump genetic code in a 5G blue lit world. That's what you need to understand. So just getting out in nature is going to be a nonlinear stimulus for many people. Uh, getting outside is always going to be the answer, but is it going to give you the same benefits, say, in New York City or London versus Uganda, you know, or or, you know, Nairobi, Kenya. The answer is no. And, and that's part of why you need to be very aware of how the changes in the electromagnetic spectrum are going to affect biology. And I don't believe most people who probably will hear this podcast, A, will believe this. They'll think this is hyperbole. But when they begin to just have some Windex sprayed on their glass eyes and they pay attention to the things going around them in the world today, they're going to see these effects that's one of the crazy things about social media that everything I'm talking to you about right now, you can find and search very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You'll see the effects are there. You'll see that when Jack made a prediction 10 years ago, that doctors would die f- from their own hand because we moved from chart based systems to uh, electronic medical records that are blue lit that emit RF and microwaves. Guess what? 10 years ago, everybody thought I was crazy. Does anybody think I'm crazy now when it's obvious? Hmm. When Jack 15 years ago, that kids between the ages of 15 and 25, the number one way they'll die will be from their own hand. Anybody surprised that it's happened? When Jack said 15 years ago that there's an oncoming uh, opiate crisis coming in any place that uses technology, guess what? We got it. And I understand how it happened. Most of the people listening to this don't. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the chemical made in your eye, your skin, and your gut called Pomsky makes something called beta endorphin. That's the opiate that you're designed to make from sunlight. You're designed to be addicted to nature by evolutionary biology. And when you're in an electromagnetic environment that doesn't allow that opiate to be made, your dopamine levels fall, so do your endogenous opiates. And what do you crave? Weed and opiates. Hmm. That's the the reason it happens and eventually if that happens long enough that will lead to depression and you'll eventually wind up thinking about suicide see it's not a big leap when you understand how those size and shape changes from the topology of the life you live all of a sudden it gives you a new idea of maybe why Jimi hendrix maybe why janice joplin maybe why kurt cobain Maybe why Michael Jackson had the fates that they had. Look at the lives they lived. Around electrified instruments, blue lit, all their concerts at night, outside the sun, never in nature. Fully connected, doing videos, now tied to the internet. Uh, And if people think that those examples I gave were from 20, 30 years ago, let's talk about Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. Let's 
about Chester Benningfield from Lincoln Park. Let's talk about Kate Spade. Let's talk about Anthony Bourdain. People don't realize that they had 80 gigahertz antennas placed on their houses in New York City in the last four or five years. How did Jack know that before everybody else? You know, they have this thing called Google Earth. You can find a lot of things out if you know what to look for. Most of the people listening to this don't. They think that what we're talking about is hyperbole or a brave new world or George Orwell's 1984. I got some bad news for you people. It's here. And it's what's driving most of the chronic diseases that we see out there. And until you realize what you don't realize, you're never going to solve for X. Mm-hmm. So, so um, just to bring us into the close, uh, you know, it's it's very crazy. I mean, you know, stuff I've been looking into f- for a while, and and uh, again, just reading your work has just been really eye opening, just in terms of how far ahead you are and and on point things are. But you know. Um, for our listeners, this might be a little bit of a doom and gloom situation, and to a large degree it is. But aside from, you know, um, the, the core six and, you know, building our friend network and all that sort of stuff, do you, you know, are there sort of like three to five practical things that you feel people could do that would make a big difference? You know, you obviously talk about light, you, t- um, you know, blue light a lot. You talk about nature. Um, you talk about diet to some degree. So, yeah, I it's all tied around optimizing light, water, and magnetism. But to do that, you have to understand the inverse square law. And let's let's be honest. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. This is the reason why Jack won't dumb the message down. Mm-hmm. There's going to be certain people that would say, well, no, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Okay. And guess what? Evolution has a game plan for you. It's called taking you to the woodshed. Okay. That's why they call it survival of the fittest. It turns out in the 5G world, the people that are going to survive are the survival of the wisest, not hmm. the fittest. If you think having a great looking body is going to be what gets you through a 5G world, I got some bad news for you. Not going to happen. In fact, skeletal muscle and big, huge frames are going to be a detriment in a 5G world. It's going to turn out that those who protect the mitochondria in their brain to think better, to understand how to utilize the the inverse square law to their benefit is smart. So what does that mean? What does the inverse square law mean? It means the further you are away from the point source of the radiation, the better you are. So what does that mean? You don't need to live in a city with a lot of other obedient idiots that own 12 to 15 wireless devices. So if you're smart, you live in a small city. You live in a a non-smart city. You have a non-smart house. You don't buy new cars with RFID chips or washing machines with RFID chips that are going to be connected to the internet, okay? You want to buy a 1969 Dodge Challenger and fix that fucker up and drive it around. You want to go to a thrift shop and buy an old school washing machine that used to work like a regular washing machine with an, uh, uh, something plugged into the power grid with no chips that talk to Apple and let you know how you your iTunes account's going. That's what you want to do. And when you get that perspective, you'll begin to see that you can win. Why? Because the majority of people out there won't get what I'm saying on this podcast. 95% will be taken up like the tsunami and shipped out like a bunch of lemmings. That's what 5G's built to do. It's going to be that 1% to 5% of people that are the salmon that swim up the stream, that begin to understand really what's going on. And when you do that, 
It's going to be simple. Um, maximize light, water, and magnetism to your mitochondrial biology. Read some books. Uh, there's plenty of books out there now that 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 uh, were not available when Jack first started this uh, that teach you about this. I would tell you the number one book for anybody listening to this podcast to go read is a book called Going Somewhere, written by Dr. Andrew Marino, who happens to be a physicist and a lawyer. Uh, everything you need to know about non-native EMF is in that book. Once you read that book, I promise you, nothing said in this podcast will be considered hyperbole. You'll be like, tell me more. Mm. Mm. Well, Jack, thank you so much for your time. Um, as I said, I mean, I could definitely speak with you for a few more hours. Uh, your, I will direct people to your blog because um, it's just chock full of so much information. But uh, anything else you would like to share with us or any other websites or links or anything like that that you would like to point our audience towards? No, I would just say do, do your due diligence. Read books that are outside of your comfort zone. Learn about these things, there's plenty of things out there. I mean, if you're interested in finding anything out about me, you can pretty much put just about any disease or any topic and my name in a Google box and it'll pop up. It's, it's become that simple now. It's, it wasn't that way in the past, but it is now. Uh, I want people to fully invest in themselves because if you're not good enough for yourself, who are you really good for? Hmm. Perfect. Well, um, thanks once again for coming on. And uh, for those of you listening, check out the show notes because I'm definitely going to add a few links in there um, just to connect you with uh, Dr. Cruz's work, which uh, I find is completely fascinating. Um, you will literally spend weeks uh, reading his blog and just trying to wrap your head around some stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks so much, Jack, for coming on the show. And, no problem. Yeah. And for those of you listening out there, as always, if you enjoyed today's show, uh, please consider subscribing, sharing, reviewing or doing whatever you can to uh, help us get the word out there and to have more awesome guests uh, like Dr. Jack Cruz. Uh, so thanks again and uh, have a beautiful day wherever you are. Yeah.